Welcome to the Qalam Institute podcast. You're listening to Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussein Thamani. Imagine spending two weeks, every day, morning and evening, with the Prophets of Allah. That's the vision behind Sirah Intensive. Every year, over a hundred people from all over the world come together to spend two weeks immersed in learning about the life and character of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad wasallam. Sign up and get more information at sirahintensive.com. That's S-E-E-R-A-H intensive.com. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa. Khususan ala Sayyidi al-Rusri wa khatim al-Anbiya wa ala alihi al-Askiya wa ashabihi al-Atqiya amma ba'd. In our previous class, we were talking about the story of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. And in particular, we talked about him and his wife Hawa in paradise and the mistake they made and then they're descending down to the earth. And there were some intricacies that need to be explained in last week's class. We dealt with them then. The one thing I wanted to remind us of from last week's class before we move into today's class is that Adam alayhi salam made a mistake while in Jannah. And if you think about it, so did shaitan. Iblis also made a mistake. But even in the mistake of Adam salam, which led him out of paradise, there's a lesson for us all. And that lesson is the difference between Iblis and Adam salam. Iblis, when he made his mistake, he fell prey to what we call takabbur, pride. Or if we may refer to it as Israr. Israr means to be persistent. Rather than just making the mistake and backing off, he was persistent. He kept justifying it. Someone who's in trouble, they argue the case further and further and further. Rather than just saying, hey, you know what, I'm guilty, I'm sorry, I'm done. On the other hand, Adam salam made a mistake. But when Adam salam made a mistake, he, ta- he taught us the lesson of istighfar. Iblis taught us Israr. Adam salam taught us istighfar. And Adam salam's repentance was such that he grieved and cried and cried. As I mentioned last week, for 70 years he repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Teaching us how to build that bond with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As human beings, making mistakes is a part of us. It's something that we will always do. But when you make a mistake in your life, whatever the mistake is, whether it's something you do at home, whether it's something in the public area, you backbite someone, you say something foul to another individual, at that exact moment you have option A and option B. Option B is that option A is the path of shaitan, israr, to be persistent on the sin. And option B is a path of Adam alayhi salam, which is istighfar. And the scholars, they say in Arabic, under the discussion of major and minor sins, because as we know, the Prophet sallallahu taught us that sins fall into two categories, the major sins and the minor sins. Now, <clears throat> what differentiates between a major and minor sin, there is a lengthy discussion amongst the scholars. What every scholar does agree upon is that there are certain sins which are definitely from the majors. And the Prophet ﷺ highlighted them in one hadith. He said, Al-Kaba'ir, Al-Ishraqu Billah, Wa'uquq Al-Walidain, Wa'qatil Al-Nafs, Wal-Yamir Al-Ghamus. The fourth thing the Prophet ﷺ highlighted. He said, the first thing that is a major sin is Al-Ishraqu Billah, which means making partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uquq Al-Walidain, to be disobedient to your parents. Wa'qatil Al-Nafs, killing an innocent soul. وَالْيَمِينُ الْغَمُوسِ And taking a false oath in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One thing is a person takes a false oath in the name of Allah mistakenly. You thought you did something yesterday, you took an oath by Allah's name. I swear by Allah, I did it yesterday. 
But then when you think about it, you realize, hey, I actually didn't. It was a mistake. I was convinced that I did something, but I was actually wrong. That's a human mistake, human error there. On the other hand, you're taking an oath of something that you knew that did not exist, did not happen. I swear by Allah, I did not steal that person's pen. Even though you know you did, but you're trying to cover that sin up or that crime up of yours by taking a grand, the, the grand oath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name while trying to cons uh, fool other people, right? That because I'm taking Allah's name, I would never lie. And we learned this from the story of Adam alayhi salam. When Adam alayhi salam wanted, uh, well, sorry, when shaitan wanted Adam alayhi salam and Hawa to eat from the tree, how did he fool them? He took a false oath. He took an oath and said, I swear by Allah, I'm sincere to you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he fooled them because he took a false oath. Now, Ibn, um, Imam Dhahabi rahmatullahi alayhi, he's actually written a book called Al-Kaba'ir, which has been translated into English, The Major Sins. And in there he lists 70 major sins. Some scholars, they say that major and minor sins are relevant to the intention of the individual who does it. Sometimes a person may accidentally kill someone. So that doesn't necessarily make it a major sin. You know, you may throw a ball at someone, a cricket ball, and you may act, that person may duck and you may hit him in the head in a place where they don't have enough skull there to protect their brain and bam, they're gone. So killing isn't necessarily the major sin here. They're talking about it's relevant to the individual and what they're thinking of and what kind of jur'ah, what kind of curse they're taking against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's a lengthy discussion amongst the scholars on the difference between a major and minor sin. Now in that discussion, there's one very interesting statement they say. They say, لَا صَغِيرَةَ مَعَ الْإِسْرَارِ وَلَا كَبِيرَةَ مَعَ الْإِسْتِغْفَارِ There is no such thing as a minor sin with persistence. Because if you're persistent on a sin, every minor sin will then result into a major sin. And there's nothing to be afraid of when it comes to a major sin after you've done it. It is, وَلَا كَبِيرَ مَعَ الْإِسْتِغْفَارِ The major sin does not remain major either once you bring repentance with it. Any sin that you do, any sin, even if it's إِشْرَاك بِاللَّهِ making partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if it's something as grave as kufr, let alone the other sins. If you repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sincerely, then that major sin is also wiped away. So this is a balance that we have to remember when we think back of the story of Adam alayhi salam and um, shaitan. The thing to always remember there is israr and istighfar. Now as we discussed last week as well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then sent them both to the earth and they roamed the earth looking for each other until finally they saw each other in an area and when they saw each other Adam salam saw Hawa his long lost love and he's like it's you and Hawa looked at him and said it's you Fata'arafa they recognize each other hence that area till today is known as Arafa the place of recognition the place of acquaintance where these two met each other now after they were acquainted with one another and they met each other what happened after that so one thing we know is that when Adam salam came to the world he came with an immense amount of knowledge. He was a very knowledgeable person. And the knowledge only, wasn't only restricted to uh, the hereafter or ibadat, it was actually also quite deep when it came to worldly issues. So Adam salam, he knew how to harvest uh, crops. Adam salam, knew how to, um, how to build things. Hawa, his wife also knew how to sew and how to extract thread and how to you know, put together garments. So these, these are knowledges that they actually, this is some knowledge that they came to the dunya with. Now why is that important? The reason why that's important is because some people, when they talk about the beginning of mankind, they speak of the beginning of mankind in a way that it seems as if they're trying to portray that mankind had no knowledge then. You know the whole idea of cavemen? 
that mankind had no knowledge, they just lived uh, without any purpose, just carrying around big bats, not even, knowing, uh, not even covering their bodies properly. They, they refer to the caveman era as one where people had no civilization and they had no knowledge. Well, where it is possible that people may have lived like that, but we shouldn't generalize it and think that the beginning of mankind was an ignorant one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Adam salam a lot of knowledge. And it was knowledge that he took pride in and compared that knowledge to the, to the knowledge of the angels, which shows you significant ilm there. And along with that, there's actually a very beautiful narration by Abu Musa al-Ashari radiallahu anh, who narrates from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took Adam salam out of paradise, zawadahu min thimaril jannah. He gave him the fruits of paradise. When Adam salam was leaving paradise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the fruits of paradise. وَعَلَّمَهُ صَنْعَةَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught him how to make things. Right, what you may call an engineer, how to make things. And not just some things, كُلَّ شَيْءٍ means everything. The things that he was going to need, he had already the skill and the knowledge to build those things. فَثِمَارُكُمْ مِنْ ثِمَارِ الْجَنَّةِ غَيْرَ أَنَّ هَذِهِ تَتَغَيَّرُ وَتِلْكَ لَا تَتَغَيَّرُ The Prophet ﷺ said, the fruits you have today, their origins come from the fruits of paradise. Because that's what Adam ﷺ brought with him. However, the difference between that fruit and this fruit is, your fruits تَتَغَيَّرُ means they rot, right? And the fruits of paradise do not rot. They, have, they do not expire. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them just like in paradise, everything is eternal. Even the fruits of paradise, they do not rot and they do not spoil. Now after this, the scholars, they say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because they met in Arafat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed Adam salam to lay foundation for the first city in the world. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to that first city as Ummul Qura. Ummul Qura means... The mother of cities. Qariyatun is singular, Qura is plural. Ummul Qura means the mother of cities. And that was in Makkah Mukarramah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed Adam salam to set the foundation of that city by building the Kaaba there, the masjid there. And Adam salam asked Allah, Ya Allah, where will it be built? And the angel came and marked that area that this is where the Kaaba will be built. And Adam salam did the digging and Hawa also helped in removing the soil from there. And then with the assistance of the angels, they put the, they put, they put the foundation of the Kaaba on the face of the earth. Now when they finished the construction of the Kaaba, the narration tells us that Jibreel salam came with a stone from paradise. Today we know that as Al-Hajar Al-Aswad, the black stone. And Adam salam said, what is this? And he said that this is the, the, this is the stone that if one kisses it, their sins will be lifted away from them. And Hassan al-Basri brings a narration from the Prophet ﷺ that the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Hajaru yaminullahi ala al-ard. The black stone is the right hand of Allah on the face of the earth. Whoever kisses it has really taken a great honor. Now Adam ﷺ, after finishing the construction of the Kaaba, the narrations tell us that the angels first did tawaf of the Kaaba, and after they finished doing tawaf, showing Adam ﷺ what to do with the structure of Allah, um, this, this house of Allah, Adam salam himself did the tawaf. Now there are other narrations as well. Some narrations tell us that when they were doing tawaf, they were saying, Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar. And then Adam salam said to them, Why don't you add to that, wala hawla wala quwwata illa billahi al-ali But none of these narrations are um, authentic. They, are, they have been debated amongst the scholars. But these narrations are there. Now one of the things that we learned is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He sent Adam salam to the world, the first structure built for the existence of mankind, the only way mankind could live on this earth is if there was a place of worship for them, a center of ibadah. 
you know, a place where they can spiritually nourish themselves. Because without being connected to a masjid, without being connected to a place of worship, you may be able to fill your, feed your body, but you won't be able to feed your soul. And ask yourself this question. How many times does it happen that if we were to skip our Jummah, we wouldn't have attended the masjid months on end? And then you ask yourself, why am I in a spiritual wreck? Why are my kids in a spiritual wreck? Why do I not see spirituality at home? Why do I see that my wife and my mother and my father, they're all just broken apart when it comes to the spiritual grounding? And the reason is quite simple. It's because we've distanced ourselves from the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam while praising the masajid said in many narrations that the one who um, is regular in the masjid, رَجُلٌ قَلْبُهُ مُعَلَّقٌ بِالْمَسَاجِدِ The one who's... The one, the man or the lady whose heart is attached to the masjid, someone who's regular in attending the masjid, serving the masjid, being there, that person will find their place in the shade of Allah's throne on the day of judgment. The Prophet ﷺ said, if you see a person who regularly visits the masjid, testify, fashhadu lahu bil iman. Testify that person is not a hypocrite, that person has true faith in their heart. Right? It's because you know, this is the place where the opportunity is to build with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can build a bond with Allah wherever you are on the face of the earth. But what the masjid has to offer is something very special. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes pride in that and mentions that in the Quran that فَلْيَعْبُدُوا رَبَّ هَذَا الْبَيْتِ That you should worship the Lord of this house. الَّذِي أَطْعَمَهُمْ مِنْ جُوعْ وَآمَنَهُمْ مِنْ خَوْفٍ Because He fed you when you were hungry and He gave you safety when you were in fear. So always building a bond with the masjid. On the second note, along with that, when establishing our communities, if that opportunity ever did come, that we have the opportunity to build a community from ground up, from the beginning, what would be the first building you would construct? The masjid. When you're moving to a community, when you're moving from one city to another, what should be the first thing you look for? Closeness to masjid. You can look into great um, good schools and good property and all that stuff. Look into all that stuff. But you must always remember, look, if you're living in a good neighborhood that has great schools and you know, great tax and all that stuff, but if it's miles away from the masjid, you have to know that the chances are that your children will grow up without the masjid. Their masjid will be the Sunday school. And that's something that's going to hurt them. Children growing up inside the masjid, being regular to the masjid, women coming to the masjid. Never underestimate the value of the masjid. It's so powerful. It's such a powerful thing. Okay, so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala constructs them, uh, instructs them to construct the masjid, and they uh, and they did so. There is much more um, detail on this that you can find in Tathkiratul Anbiya. Now, Imam Suyuti rahmatullahi alayhi says, after that, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala blessed Adam alayhi salam with children, and Hawa alayhi salam, she would give birth to twins. Each time she would give birth, she would give birth to twins. And the twins that she would give birth to, they would be from the opposite gender. They would be one boy and one girl. And then the next birth would be one boy and one girl. And the next birth would be one boy and one girl. Now how spaced out were their children? Um, there's nothing clear in the narrations. Some narrations seem to say that a lot of, many of them were born quickly, like you know, in the earlier part of the day, the latter part of the day. But again, these are discussions that the scholars have in detail. Uh, what we do know is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded them that the children that were born from the same stomach could not marry one another. That if, the if a boy and girl were married from one stomach, and then the next boy and girl that were born, that were born from the next stomach, they, could not, they had to marry one another, but from the same stomach they couldn't marry. Okay? The oldest son that Adam salam had, his name was Qabil. He was the oldest son of Adam salam. Okay? And he had a sister. Now what's her name? Again, there, there's, a, there's um, discussion in this. It seems that scholars, they feel that the more common opinion on this issue is that her name was Lawda. Lawda. And another one of his sons' name was Habil. 
and he had a he had a sister whose name again is nothing that's clear in narrations, but there are narrations that suggest that her name was Iqlima. Now, how many children did they have? Imam Suyuti rahmatullahi alayhi says that Adam alayhi salam and Hawa together had 40 children. They had 40 children in total. Which means how many, time did, how many times was um, Hawa pregnant? She was pregnant 20 times. Very good. Okay. Now like this, they had um, 40 children. Um, and regarding the children, their names, their ages, again, there's so much in this. I've said this before, I'll say it again. When it comes to history and um, stories of the prophets from the past, there are some issues that are very clearly mentioned in the Qur'an, like we do know regarding the two sons, Habir and Qabil, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes reference to them in the Qur'an. Their names aren't necessarily mentioned in the Qur'an, but the two are mentioned, they are referenced. وَتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آدَمَ بِالْحَقِّ Right, that Allah says mentioned to them the story of the two sons of Adam alayhi salam. So we know that they, what were their names? Again, it's up in the air. Some scholars say it was this, some scholars say it was that. Not all agree it was Habir and Qabil. Some say it was Habin and Qabin. And then there are other variations of the pronunciation of their names as well. What's more common is that their names are Habir and Qabil, or in English we call them Canaan. Abel, yes, that's the more common pronunciation of their name in English. You may have read books on them or books titled with their names as well. When it comes now beyond the Quran, there are references to stories of the prophets from previous narrations also in the hadith. But even that is limited. Where you will find a significant amount of history is in narrations that we call Israeli riwayat. And I've addressed this before, but I'm just bringing it again right now to refresh your memory. Israeli riwayat are Judo-Christian narrations. So narrations that are adopted from the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. Now we can all agree that the authenticity the Muslims gave and the attention they gave to preserving the tradition of Islam, the Quran and Sunnah, was not given to the other religions. Their scholars did not give the same attention in preserving their religion. So what that leads us with is that we have narrations from them that contribute towards certain puzzle pieces of history, but we can't completely rely on them. That's why the scholars, their general principle when it comes to Israeli riwayat, they say, لا نصدق ولا نكذب That we don't wholeheartedly accept them, and neither do we wholeheartedly reject them. We can take them as pieces of information as long as they don't contradict something clearly mentioned in the Qur'an or an established narration of the Prophet ﷺ. If they do contradict, then obviously there is no place for it at all within the, uh, within the history or within our discussions. Now the story of Habil and Qabil is mentioned in the Qur'an and Ibn Kathir narrates his story from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud in great detail. And the story is that Qabil was set to marry Habil's sister. And Habil was set to marry Qabil's sister. Qabil was a very handsome man and his sister was equally beautiful. He had no interest in marrying Habil's sister because she wasn't as beautiful. So when Adam salam, their father and also the Prophet of Allah, had given the instruction that you will marry her and you will marry her, Qabil objected and he said, Oh my father, I will not marry her. I have no interest in marrying her because she's not as beautiful. Rather, I would like to marry my own sister. Now, Adam salam, was not in agreement with this because this was against the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in order to control the situation, Adam salam, he instructed his sons that the way we will deal with this is this. Each of you will present a sacrifice to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِذْ قَرَّبَ قُرْبَانًا فَتُقُبِّلَ مِنْ أَحَدِهِمَا وَلَمْ يُتَقَبَّلْ مِنَ الْآخَرِ Each of you will present a sacrifice to Allah. And 
we will then see whose sacrifice is accepted and whose sacrifice is not accepted. The one whose sacrifice is accepted is accepted, is an accepted servant, a service, a servant of Allah, and that person's intention will also be accepted. And the one whose sacrifice is not accepted, we can tell that there's some fault in that person's intention, and what their desire is, we will not give it attention, we will push it to the side. Now, Qabil was someone who was involved in farming. He had a lot of crops. And Habil, on the other hand, was someone who was involved in animals. He was a shepherd. He had a lot of animals with him. So each of them were commanded to bring a portion of their, uh, of their investment, the wealth they owned. Habil bought an animal. Qabil bought some, some fruit or some vegetation that he had. And they were told to place it on the tip of the mountain. And as we learned from previous um, religions, not in Islam, but in previous religions, and this is something that's also mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that when they would present their sacrifice, what would happen is, a fire would come and burn away their sacrifice. And the fire burning away their sacrifice was a sign that their sacrifice was accepted. And that's one of the specialties of the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ, is that when the Muslims had, uh, had victory in the battlefield, after they had gained the goods from the battlefield, the question was, do we keep this or can we not keep this? Because there are narrations that tell us in previous, narr- previous nations, once they fought in the battle and they had gained the goods from the battlefield, they would place it on the mountain and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would take it away by a fire coming in, taking it away from them, which was a sign of their sincerity and acceptance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But one of the specialties of the ummah of the Prophet is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed them to continue to benefit from the ghanima, from the wealth that was gained from the battlefield. Now, both of them were told to bring their wealth to the top of the mountain and leave it there, and one would be accepted and the other would not be accepted. Now, when they were going through their wealth to select what to be given, Qabil, he wasn't too impressed about the whole idea of fire coming and burning away his, 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 his wealth and how this whole qurban issue worked and sacrificing for the sake of Allah. He wasn't too impressed by it. So he took the worst crop he had and presented it in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When it came to Habil, he understood that his father was a prophet of Allah and what a prophet of Allah says is meaningful and it's the depth of reality. So he brought the best animal he had and presented it in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted from one, it did not accept from the other. As Allah says in the Quran, فَتُقُبِّلَ مِنْ أَحَدِهِمَا وَلَمْ يُتَقَبَّلْ مِنَ الْآخَرِ One was accepted. Who's, whose sacrifice was accepted? Habiz. Whose sacrifice was not accepted? Qabil. Now there is a lesson that we can learn here, if we take a moment. The lesson that we learn here is that when we're giving in the path of Allah, don't give your leftovers. Giving your leftovers in the path of Allah to the poor and the needy is the sunnah of Qabil. And giving the khayrul amwal, the best wealth that you have in the path of Allah, is the sunnah of Habil. You know, in our communities when there are food drives or clothes drives or you know, whatever drives that happen, Usually people give what they no longer have any use for. If you stand there and watch the brothers and sisters of the community bringing their clothes for donation, when you look at them, there's holes in them, and they're broken up, torn apart. You look at it and say, even you wouldn't wear it, why are you expecting someone else to wear it? That whole expectation is very low. You know, and if you must give someone a garment that was used already because that's what you can afford to give, then present it properly. How about sewing in the patches before you give it? Or at least washing it. People don't wash their clothes. I was once at a, at a clothes drive and I, someone brought a bag and I opened it and the smell was so horrible. I said to this person that, you know, you should have shame in front of Allah. You should have shame. What are you going to say to Allah that you give dirty clothes? 
If you wanted to give these clothes, that's okay. At least you could have washed them. At least you could have ironed them. At least you could have folded them. Yes, it's possible that they would lose their fold and the ironing in the process of transporting them from one city to another, but that's none of your business. Your business is that when you present something in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you present what you love the most. As the Quran says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when you sacrifice your animal for the sake of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not benefit from the meat or the blood of it. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes to see is the taqwa that's in your heart. You know, the piety, the care, the concern that you have when you're making that sacrifice. And Allah addresses this in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya amanu, anfiqu min ma kasabtum. All those who believe, spend in the path of Allah from the best things, the most pure things that you have. Wala khabith. And don't give the filthy things. Minhutun that you spend in the path of Allah. And they're so bad, those things that you're giving in the path of Allah, they're so deteriorated, so low in quality, that if someone was to offer them to you, you wouldn't take it yourself. If someone was to offer you that thing, you would say, brother, give it to someone else, not me. Don't give me yesterday's leftover pizza. But today you're willing to give your leftover pizza to another person. So this is a concept that we have to remember. When we're giving in the path of Allah, it shouldn't be with the intention of decluttering. When we're giving in the path of Allah, it should be with the intention of getting rid of the scum that we have. Rather stand in front of what is most valuable and give that in the path of Allah. And that has a very special acceptance from Allah. And we see this in the story of Habir and Qabil. Qabil made the mistake of being arrogant and not giving what he should have given. The best of his, best of his wealth. And Habil humbled himself and he gave the best and Allah accepted it. Now what happened was when this incident occurred, Qabil felt insulted. He felt offended. That Allah accepted one and did not accept mine. Imagine the, um, the humiliation in the community. Him being wrong and his um, qurban not being accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he got so angry that he said to his brother, لَأَقْتُلَنَّكَ I will kill you. 